You know, when you think about the greatness of God, it, it doesn't take much to get that off the ground. You know, just there's so many passages you could turn to that speak of the greatness of our God. And, um, oh, man, what, what a wonderful reminder. What a wonderful thought uh, for us to ponder on the greatness of our God. Well, we're going to see the greatness of our God in a different way today, and that's through his love and, and through what we're called to do. And so with that, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, first, why, why are we studying love? Well, one of the reasons why we're studying the subject of love is because we have been, uh, this year, the theme for this year is spiritual maturity. And, and you as a Christian cannot grow spiritually. You cannot mature spiritually without loving in a deeper, fuller way. That, that's an impossibility. Your love cannot remain the same as a Christian. You have to pursue deeper love, higher love, fuller love, more meaningful love. If you are a Christian, you have to love more deeply the more you understand the gospel, the more you understand who Jesus is. How could you? We, we've been singing about it. We've been praising God about it. We just read... Uh, just wonderful passages like Ephesians 2 about the love of God. Why would we not pursue that with everything we have? Why would we be content with the love we currently have? We cannot. And so for that reason, we have to look at 1 Corinthians 13 afresh. Some of you have memorized it. Some of you have looked at it. I get it. But the point is that every so often we have to return to this form of love and call ourselves to something deeper and fuller. And that's what we've been doing for last week, and that's what we'll be doing this week. Now, last week, just to remind you, we looked at the message and meaning of, uh, of love. We looked at the, the fact that the love mentioned in this passage, 1 Corinthians, is agape love. That's different from all the other loves that was prevalent at that time. You know, we could look at eros, the, the passion that, that was expressed with that term. Or phileo, the, the brotherly humanitarian love. We didn't mention this last week, but you could even think of storge, that, that love for, for, your bro, for not just your brother, but for your family, that unique love. There's so many different kinds of love. But the Christian love is agape love. That self-sacrificial love, we said that that love is reciprocal, not just one-sided. It's a love that we show towards one another. We mentioned that that form of love is also a type of love that's unconditional and not transactional. That we just don't love so we can get something. We love unconditionally, and so we've been called out to that. And then we, that's, that's the meaning, but the message behind all of that is all of our actions, everything that we do must be seasoned, driven by agape love, this self-sacrificial love, this love that is deep and powerful and meaningful, the love that is expressed by Jesus. That's the high watermark of love. And today, what we're going to study is how meaningless and empty we are if we're not loving in this way. We could have all other types of love. We could be passionate about all sorts of things. We can care about our family and our relatives. But unless we're pursuing agape love, 
will be empty and meaningless. And we'll see that from this passage. But first, let's read the entire passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, these are your words, and we are your people. Please take them, cement them to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you know the content of our hearts. You know what we need. Please provide it for us. I am but a mere vessel and imperfect at that, broken at that. And so I pray that whatever I say, you might multiply it, that you might prevent them from hearing folly and only wisdom, your wisdom that can change hearts and minds. Be with us now in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen and amen. Well, this morning, we are going to look at two things. First of all, the emptiness that we experience for not loving well. And then, of course, the fullness of loving well. First of all, the emptiness that happens when we do not love with this powerful, um, life-changing reality of agape love. Paul mentions it in the first three verses. Notice in rapid succession, Paul talks about the emptiness and nothingness we experience without agape love. He says, though we <clears throat> speak with the tongues of men, in other words, though we are eloquent, 
Though we are gifted communicators, though we're nice in our speech, we don't say mean things to other people, we don't put other people down, those things are great and we should do those. But Paul says if those are not done with agape love, self-sacrificing love, notice Paul says all of our speech, everything we say is like nothing. It's meaningless. Not only that, Paul goes on in verse number 2. And says, though we have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, but if we don't have, and have all faith as to move mountains, but if we don't have love, we are nothing. What is he saying? He's saying, with all of our education, with all of our Christian spirituality, our claims of being Christians for a long time, and of walking in the faith for a long time, if all of those things were not seasoned by agape love, this self-sacrificing, unconditional, non-transactional love, Paul says that we are empty inside. It's all meaningless. Then he goes on and says, if I give away all that I have, if if you are benevolent, if you give yourself to things, and yet you have not loved, Paul says you gain nothing. Please do not miss that in three verses he says that our speech is nothing, Our knowledge is nothing, and our actions is nothing. In the Bible, when you see a biblical author repeat three concepts like that, one right after the other, right after the other, he's drawing attention to the importance and the need of that thing. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the glory of God, what did he see the angels doing as they praised God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of hosts. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with with His glory. What, What are the angels doing? They're drawing attention to the importance of holiness and the need for holiness. In the same way, that's what Paul is doing here. He's drawing attention to it. He's saying that without agape love, that without it, we are nothing. So he's highlighting the importance of it. But he's also saying that without agape love, again, we, everything we do is meaningless. Therefore, it's our greatest need. It should be our greatest pursuit. But the problem with the church at Corinth is they did not even realize that they weren't loving like this. Look at all the things they're doing and nobody stopped to think, wait a minute, are we loving in an agape way? They had become so used to loving poorly, dysfunctionally, transactionally, that they themselves couldn't even see that they weren't loving rightly. Uh, Last year, around this time, most of you know that I was struggling with my asthma. And so I went to go, and I I went to go see um, someone for it, right, an allergist. And when I went there, I spent three hours there. Apparently, I was a medical marvel right? I mean, they tested my back, and, you know, my back felt inflamed. Apparently, I was allergic to everything under the sun. And then they did a peak flow meter to test my lung function. They, they put me through all these testings, and at the end of it, it, it lasted about three hours, the doctor walked in and looked at me with furred brow. And that's never good, right? And he said, Mr. Lewis, um, are you do you sleep well at night? 
And I was like, well, you know, Doc, I have a clear conscience before the Lord, uh, so I guess I sleep well at night. He says, no, 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 that's not what I mean. Do you you get up randomly at night? I said, well, sometimes. And he says, says, Mr. Lewis, do you exercise? I said, well, Doc, you know, I don't exercise as much as you can tell. You know, I'm a little fluffy. Um, And so, you know, I could certainly exercise more. And he says, well... Well, Mr. Lewis, do, how about your daily functions? I, like, do, are you tired? Do you fall asleep? Like, so I said, Doc, Doc, uh, I mean, you know, I, I know this is supposed to work where you ask me the questions, but this is getting kind of annoying. Like, what, what's the issue here? He says, Mr. Lewis, I'm shocked that you're as functional as you are. He said, you are operating on 40% lung capacity. Your oxygen saturation levels are in the 80s. He said, by all intensive purposes, you're not taking full breaths. And I could almost guarantee that the scarring on your lungs is so bad, you haven't taken a full deep breath in years. But he says, you've gotten so used to breathing like this, you don't realize that there's something greater. And it shocked me because he was right. I've had asthma so long in my life, I don't know what it is to have healthy lungs. And so what happens? My body got used to living and interacting on very little oxygen. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, and this is what Paul is saying to us. We're so used to loving poorly. We're so used to loving transactionally. We're so used to this lower level of love. We're so used to arguing and fighting with one another, yelling and screaming at one another. We're so used to dysfunctional love that we do not even know what true agape love looks like. Do you understand that your greatest need in the world is to love and to be loved? That's our greatest need, to love and to be loved. And if that process is perpetually broken, where you are loving poorly and you're being loved poorly, you can become so used to that dynamic that even when somebody says, look at this grand expectation for love, you're like, well, I think I'm meeting that. You, we, some of us inside here have been loving in such a dysfunctional way, such a broken way, such an empty way, that you have no idea what agape love looks like. Your agape love saturation isn't at 40%, it's at zero. Because it's never been modeled and shown for you. You've never pursued it as a higher good. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, in his sermons on 1 Corinthians 13, said this. Edwards says that what separates you and I, human beings from animals, is that we could pursue agape love and the animals cannot. Edwards says, look, Animals can do um, tremendous things. Right now, uh, and this is one example he gave, he gave a bird building a nest. Uh, right, right now, I can stand in my front room and see a bird building a nest right outside my front room. And it's glorious. I, I mean, this little bird comes, she, she brings a little mud, she brings some sticks, and she forms it. I mean, it's, it's wonderful, the construction. It's wonderful how sturdy it is. Now, why is she doing that? She's doing that because she's getting ready to lay eggs. Well, but Edward's point is simply this. He said, birds, animals, they do these things, and it has the semblance of love, but we cannot call it agape. They do amazing things, wonderful things, 
They build bridges. They build dams. They build uh, nests. Animals do incredible things, but they don't do it with agape. And here's Edward's point, that you and I, when we love, when we do all of these wonderful things with all the mystery, with all of our gifts, with all of our talents, if we do it without agape love, we are just like the beast of the field. We're no different. What is Edwards calling us to? What is Paul calling us to? What is the Holy Spirit calling you to? He's calling you to a transcendent form of love that only you as a human being created in the image of God can do. Not the animals. But some of us are so broken. In fact, I would say all of us are so broken that we don't know what this love looks like. We've gotten so used to complaining and arguing and fussing at one another that the concept of having love that is this self-sacrificing, this this patient, this kind, that isn't irritable or resentful, even the mere mention of a love like that, we're like, we can't do that. That's impossible. No, it's not. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But no, it's not. Paul, the Holy Spirit, even me as your pastor, I'm calling all of us to a higher form of love. I'm challenging us to love like this because sometimes we get so used to loving in a broken way that we don't know what true love looks like. Now, Paul isn't looking at them and looking down on them because they don't love well. Sometimes we can get that opinion about Paul. Like Paul is just telling them, you bad Corinthians, you don't know how to love well. And so therefore, I'm telling you all of these things so you can love well. No, Paul himself understood what they were going through because Paul himself used to love like this. He used to love in this broken way, this transactional way. If you turn to Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, and Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, what does Paul say in those passages? Paul says, look, at one point in my life, I was the ultimate Jew. I was the Hebrews of Hebrews. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul said. I advanced in my career successfully. I was zealous. Even at one point, he says, I was blameless. Paul gives a litany of all the things he did in the flesh, and there was no one that could compare to him around him. Paul was seen as the Pharisee that loved well, that served God, and was zealous for God. But what happened to Paul? That glorious day when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Paul in that moment realized that he wasn't blameless. Notice Paul goes from saying when he meets Jesus, when he meets true agape love, Paul goes through a physical, uh, what, what I call a personal change, and a philosophical change. Notice the personal change that Paul undergoes as a result of meeting agape love, meeting Jesus. He goes from saying, I'm blameless, to saying, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he says, I am the least of the saints. And then he goes on to say, I am worse of all sinners. What leads someone to that kind of change? When they realize how much their love, they empty themselves of their pride and of their arrogance when it comes to love. 
So Paul underwent this profound personal change. But Paul also underwent a profound philosophical change. In, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, everything that I did prior to me becoming a Christian, prior to me becoming a believer, Paul says all of that is like dung. In other words, all of it is meaningless. All of it was pointless. Why would Paul say all of those things were pointless? Because he realized it was done without agape love. What's interesting to me is if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes says this, vanities of vanities, all things are vanity. And we tend to believe that the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying that everything we do under the sun is meaningless. Our work, our love, our play, all of that is meaningless. But that's not what he's saying. He's making a deep philosophical point that even Paul is making right here when he says, I count all of those things as meaningless. The point that the writer of Ecclesiastes and Paul is saying is this. When you meet the love of Jesus, this agape love, this powerful love, when you finally understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you begin to realize that the way you love is meaningless and pointless in comparison. That everything you've done without this powerful self-giving love is all foolishness. That's the point that the writer of Ecclesiastes is making. And that's the point that Paul is making here. That all of our actions, all of our efforts, if it's done for selfish reasons, if it's done in a way that's resentful, if it's done in a way that boasts, if it's done in an irritable um, sort of way, Paul says that's not love and therefore it's meaningless. Now, I am sure, I am sure when the church at Corinth read this, they looked at it and they said, well, that's not me. I'm not resentful. I mean, yeah, I have my issues, but, but surely I love rightly. Paul anticipates this, and that's why in verse 4 through 7, Paul personifies love. Don't miss this, because this, to me, is the most powerful aspect of this entire passage. Notice, Paul, Paul personifies love. He says, love is patient, love is kind. Now, now what, what does it mean to personify something? It means to give something that is non-human, human qualities. Why would you do that? This isn't just stylistic or literary. The reason why Paul did that is so that when they read that, they can substitute their, the word love with their names. You think that you love well, Paul says? I know you're going to read this and think, of course I love well. Then Paul personifies love as an indication that he wants them to put their name and replace it with love. Read this passage for a moment and put your name in it. I tried it, and you know what? It was hard. Imagine me standing up and saying, Dennis is patient and kind. Dennis does not envy or boast. Dennis is not arrogant or rude. Dennis does not insist upon his own way. Dennis is not irritable or resentful. You know, even if I put qualifiers in front of those things and say sometimes Dennis is patient and kind, I will still not measure up to what Paul is calling us to. 
See, what Paul is calling us to is so high and lofty. The, the degree to which you and I have to exercise this is so high and lofty that it leaves you feeling empty. It leaves you recognizing that you cannot live up to this standard. It leaves you, it le leaves you realizing how much you need Jesus, right? Because we all know that if we try to love like this, we will fail. And we also know that no one can love us like this. We will fail. That's why substituting our name, when Paul personifies this, he meant us to substitute our names in here to show us, to, to sort of break us or get us off our high horse so we know for a fact we cannot love like this. Even the best of us inside here today cannot love like this. So you might be saying, well, pastor, what do we do? If we can't love like this, if we can't pursue this as a good, are we just left to feel empty and miserable? No. Because that's what brings us to the fullness of loving well. Instead of putting our names in this, why don't we substitute Jesus' name in this? Notice how that changes everything. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy and boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus does not get irritable or resentful. What is the purpose of substituting Jesus' name in that passage and not our name? What is the purpose of that? What is the value of that, do you think? The value is this. Because we are in union with Christ, those things can be true of us. Paul said it best in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the fate of the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. Understand what Paul is saying there. Paul is saying that by virtue of what Christ did for us on the cross, we are crucified with him. We have been brought in union with him. That's why he says... That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. In other words, because of my union with Christ, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but what lives in me? Christ, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now animates me. So if it's true that Christ can be patient and kind, if it's true that Christ can love in such a way in which he does not envy or boast, then Christ in you can lead you to love in this way as well. That's the point that, that he is making. That's the point that Galatians 2 is making, that by virtue of our union with Christ, we now can love like this. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ live in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You can look at this passage and you can rightly say that you cannot love like this. No, but do you have the faith to love like this? Do you even care to love like this? Because this is where the rubber meets the road spiritually. Are you willing or do you have the faith to pursue a love that looks like this? Are you comfortable loving at 0%? Are you comfortable with your love being sometimes patient and kind? 
Are you willing to change? Because the Bible says that when we accept Christ as Lord and personal Savior and we're brought in union with Christ, that now we have been giving a mechanism to change and it's called the Holy Spirit. Why is that the case? Because Christ not only lives in us, but he gives us the perfect example of what love looks like. Why do you think the New Testament exists? Why do you think the gospel exists? Because those things show us what true love looks like. It gives us a picture of what we pursue. Because Jesus loves us passionately and deeply and fully, we're able to use that as an example to love others the same way. Several years ago, actually many years ago, I read a biography about Dennis Rodman called Bad As I Want To Be. Now, if some of you buy the book or look up the book, please know that the front is very pro provocative. Um, you know, like, Pastor, what kind of books you're reading? Well, that was less sanctified back then. And so, so as I read this book um, about Dennis Rodman, some of you know him, some of you don't know him, but Dennis Rodman was a, a very good basketball player. In fact, every team he ever played on, he won a championship because he was a transcendent talent. And one of the things that stood out to me as I read that book is that Dennis Rodman, despite all of his talent and all of his gifts, was a mess. He was absolutely an empty, miserable person. He did drugs. He had illicit relationships. Uh, he wore dresses. I mean, he dressed up like, like a woman. And, and Dennis Rodman constantly cried. And he was asked one time, why do you cry so much? He said, because of the pain that's on the inside. Dennis Rodman had never been loved with this agape love, and he never loved others like that. But in the book, Dennis Rodman said that the times in his life that was most healthy for him, the times in his life where he did drugs the least, where he was a good person, was when he played for the Pistons, and his coach was Chuck Daly. And the point that he was making is that Chuck Daly so loved him and cared about him. He didn't allow him to do foolishness. He gave him a curfew. He told him that if he messed up or messed around, he would be kicked off the team. He loved Dennis Rodman enough to not let him devolve into self-destructive habits. And he's, Dennis Rodman says, because I saw how Chuck Daly loved me and cared for me, that made me want to be a better person. Now hear me today. Chuck, Chuck Daly is an imperfect example of how to love. Imagine if we had a perfect example of how to love, how much you and I would love. What better example than Jesus? Tell me who you know that loves more deeply, more powerfully, more consistently. He is the ultimate example of what and how to love. Listen, all of us learn how to love from other people. All of us learn that. All of us learn how to love from other people. I, the best marriage advice I was ever given in my entire life was um, one of the elders at the church that I came from. He was my mentor. He said, Dennis, if you want to teach your children how to love, love your wife well. Don't yell at her. Don't get frustrated at her. Try to treat her with respect. Try to treat her with dignity. And trust me, your children will learn how to love so well by how you love your wife. Best marriage advice I was ever given. Why? Because it's true. Parents, listen to me. We teach our children how to love by the way we love. If we get frustrated at them and angry at them, 
what does that say about, about what love means? They're going to think love is, it's okay for us, to, for, for us to love in such a way that's angry or vengeful or, or, or inconsistent. They're going to learn how to love from us. Now, if you're sitting down there thinking, Pastor Dennis, that's scary, you're right. It is scary. Why do you think now we are told in Scripture to point people to Jesus and not ourselves? I know some of you who are incredible at loving people well, but you know what? It's imperfect, it's messy, and you don't do it well. That's why I'm not even pointing you to love like me. I'm telling you to love like Jesus. I'm pointing you to Jesus, and I'm saying follow him. Love like him, because only when you love like him, only when you pursue him, are you able to love others. Now, quickly, the big takeaway. What is our big takeaway today? Here's my big takeaway. Don't live an empty life. Don't live a meaningless life. Love like what Paul is calling us to. You know what I realized from reading this passage? It's amazing how we can mask emptiness by fruitfulness. We could be doing all the right things, saying all the right things, acting all the right way. But if we're not pursuing agape love, the way Jesus loved, we are just empty shells on the inside. You can make a decision today. There's, there's three people listening to me, and they'll, you know, I, I, I call them the try-harders. There are some people, they hear this, and they're like, okay, I got a list of what to do, and I'm going to try hard. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Try-harders, you're going to fail. Rule followers, you're going to fail because you can't do it unless you are powered by the Holy Spirit. And then there's some of us not try-harders. We're like, hey, you know what? I think the way I love is pretty good the way it is. I think I'll just hit cruise control. You know what? Still emptiness. Still emptiness. You still won't love the way this passage and Jesus is calling us to love. And then there's some of us who are the don't cares. We're, we're hearing this message and we're saying, you know what? doesn't matter. I'll just do my own thing and I'll be okay. You know what? You won't be. You'll love like the beast of the field. You'll still be empty and meaningless. If you want a life of fulfillment, if you want a life of joy, if you want a life of true happiness, then you'll pursue this form of love with complete and utter abandon. Because any other standard will lead to utter, utter failure, utter misery, and utter emptiness. But you can do it. If you're a believer, you have Christ in you, you can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to love like this. If you're an unbeliever, you can humble yourself today, and you can trust Christ, your only means by which you can pursue fulfillment in agape love. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, I know this is a high task, and for some of us, we're anxious. Can we do this? Is this possible? I, I, I don't know how to love like this. I've never been loved like this. What do I do? Help us to flee to you. Lord, our greatest need is to be loved, and our greatest need is to love. And if we're not doing it with this self-sacrificing, this self-abasing in this way, it will be meaningless. It will be nothing. Be with us now, your people. Oh, Lord, help us to love well. 
by loving in the Spirit, through the Spirit, and by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.